1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Friends, welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery, a podcast for folks who are have either exited ministry or thinking about exiting ministry, know someone who's exiting ministry, or just want to talk about what does it mean to make a job transition of any shape or sort, or you're just curious, or you just really like the sound of Justin and I's voice. I'm Sarah Heath, and this is my co-host. My name is Justin Gentry, and this is Rev Recovery, where we we welcome. talk. We welcome to the Rev Recovery Room, where we. Welcome. Talk about the the ins and outs of ministry, and realize that mostly we're using, the outs. Mostly the outs we're finding, <laughs> uh, and that's we're okay finding. too. And that's and that's okay yeah, too. Is. Uh, this is we're in the midst of the great resignation, and a lot of people are rethinking work in general. And I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. I think reorganizing yeah. how we work is good. But for ministers that are thinking about transitioning out, I think there's a couple extra hurdles, and we want to make sure that people are aware for one, but also are prepared and. I think I think excited about whatever transition is coming their way because I think there could be a lot of fear and we want to we want to help with that. And we I have like a, to say there is life on the other side of the stained glass windows. So we're glad we're glad to take that journey with you. If we can just be a little part of it, just to be supportive. So that's what we're doing. We have both been shocked. We were talking actually right before we started recording the number of direct messages we get. Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for um, sharing your thoughts with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing with us that you listen to our podcast and then you quit your ministry. We don't know how to feel about that. Our yeah. friend Blake called us Simfluencers. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I would like to think mm. that we're influencing you to do a good thing. If you listen to our podcast and then you resigned from your position, it was going to happen. We just yeah. were the thing. And we're happy yeah. to be the thing. Catalyst. We're, you know, it, we're in an interesting time and place. And we're very excited to where things are going. We've been shocked, I think, at the response. And we, yeah, we're excited to see where this thing goes. So as part of that, we are really lucky we got to line up some great folks to talk to you. And today is another one of those great folks. I'm lucky to call him my friend. Uh, and we're kind of co-conspirators. We work together on something called Soul Leader, which is a coaching organization. But today we have Maher with us. And Maher, and I want to make sure I say it right, so I practice, it's Salhani. Yes. Is a DEI expert, which means that uh, just sort of teaching cultural intelligence through an organization called Rising Culture. And just an incredible human. Also uh, really good at business stuff, guys. So this is someone who left ministry and is doing all right. So you can make it on the other side. So (laughs) welcome, Maher. It is so good to have you here. So good to be with you guys. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Sarah. It's been awesome uh, getting to know you. And Justin, great to meet you. And yeah, love love hearing your stories. Thank you for kicking this podcast off. I think it's a much needed <laughs> thing in in uh, in the um, you know in the multiverse these days. Ooh, the multiverse. Well, we would love to hear a little bit about what context you were in ministry, and if you don't mind, kind of starting to talk about like kind of how you ended up in ministry. Yeah, I mean, so for me. 
I was born in Lebanon, Beirut, was a Muslim for the first 20 years of my life. So immigrated to the States as a refugee. And so, you know, just lived in a Muslim family. But because of all the things I'd gone through in my journey, I basically tried to match my theology, my Muslim theology to my daily life. And it just was coming up short. So, so I got heavy into apologetics and all that. Well, in college, I got introduced to Puerto Rican church in the hood, you know, in Philly. And so tried to evangelize, you know, them and all that. And it ended up me learning about Jesus and who Jesus was and what that looked like. And I started applying. Wait, some- wait, wait, you were yeah. trying to evangelize them at first? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would hold. To being Muslim. Yeah. I, I had, Yeah. <laughs> I had my, my mosque that was helping me. We would have oh, wow. nice. things called like meetings for better understanding. And we bring Muslims and Christians together and we'd give a oh, speech. Cool. Yeah. A lot of apologetics. Nobody really moved. There wasn't much happening. Just a lot of arguing. <laughs> Except for you, you switch sides. <laughs> so, so for me, it was like, it was like, what's going on here? Like, you know, um, this Jesus guy, you know, is, is pretty interesting. So let me, let me learn a little bit more about him. So I got really deep into it and and at one point, you know, someone challenged me to say, you know, do you want to follow Jesus? And and I made that decision at one point and and I and I did and you know, it was like throwing a grenade into my community, my family all blew up. I got the I got oh, the sure. shit out of me yeah. by my dad, uh, wow. thrown out of the house and just, you know, it was a big mess. It was in the it was in the papers and all that. Anyway. Wow. So you so made then, it into the papers? Yeah, twice. So, uh, Philadelphia Inquirer if anybody wants to look it up, it's around 2001. Uh, irrelevant right now. But so uh, that launched me right in the ministry. I, I was, I mean, just think about it. It was November of 2001. It was the height of 9-11 had happened. So I was a nice. unicorn. You know what I mean? I yeah. was freaking, so I was paraded from church to church to church to say, hey, look, all right, we're at war with Islam, with Muslims, but hey, there's hope. We can reach them with Jesus. Oh, no. So, so I, I mean, I went, I, I don't know, I was, I was at a church every weekend for years, you know? And so we built a ministry around that. And my job was to convert Muslims to, you know, share the gospel, Ooh. share Jesus and disciple Muslims. So that's what I did. I, I didn't have a bachelor's degree yet. So they were like, well, you know what, we're going to throw you into Westminster Seminary to help you get caught up. So professors will, will hang with you and teach you, bring you up to speed so you can hang in seminary and all that. So but then I said, you know what? This this isn't lining up. This, <laughs> this doesn't yeah. feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so and so for me, those meetings that we would have, I was seeing no Muslims come. The elite would only come, the Christian elite and the Muslim elite. There were arguments, it caused rifts in the community. And I was like, it it doesn't feel like God is in this. And so uh, at that time, and and I was learning in seminary, I realized that I was part of a dispensational church. And the dispensational Mm. church loves the chosen people. And the chosen people are people, you know, the the Jewish people or, you Mm. know, people in in Israel. And and for me, you know, coming from Lebanon, Lebanon being at war with, with Israel for a really long time, you know, I was like, wait a second, like, if we're Christian, how can we not want the same peace for the Palestinians that we want for the Israeli? And it was like, no, no, this is God's chosen people. So I think for me, I, this is what I did. I, I left my position. 
I was a director of Muslim evangelism uh, in, in the church and I was part of a mission agency, you know, I was making, making, you know, that, that $24,000 a year, you know what I mean? With, from the, yeah. boy. Yeah. and I said, I, I'm done. I quit. I quit the seminary. I left the church and I went and got my mechanics license. I come from a family of mechanics. Uh, we work on car Mercedes specialists. So I got my, my certifications and I got uh, signed on to go to BMW headquarters in California. And so I left the church scene completely and started work. I worked at Irvine BMW for three years as a, as a BMW master tech. So wow. that was the first time I left the church. Okay. To go work. I, I did not realize that you were a master tech. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was, that was cool for, for three years. And then I was invited to another church in Orange County. And this church was unique a little bit to me in a sense that they did not see outreach as evangelism. They saw outreach as trying to care for the poor. So I was like, mm-hmm. this is different. You know, I, I'm, I've been part of marginalized communities and, you know, I've been a refugee. I've been, you know, all this stuff. What does this look like? Well, I started hanging out with a few of them during lunch breaks or things like that. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to me, a pastor comes up to me and says, hey, love to offer you a job. What do you think about starting in two weeks? Well, my, my contract was, was uh, uh, in two weeks at BMW. I had to renew it. So I didn't renew my contract and I went to work for this mega church. And that's, that's how I kind of jumped back in to ministry. Eventually became a pastor, an outreach pastor. Uh, oversaw and built a department that had relationships locally, globally, you know, working everywhere. We rebuilt Title I schools and all kinds of stuff, you know, just, oh, cool. just a lot of fun. And then Trump became president. And when Trump oh, yeah, became that guy. president. That is a yeah. very similar story to a lot of. Is it? A lot it? of people. Oh, yeah. we, that's what we hear a lot is I was okay. I could have stayed. And then. I left ministry in January of 2017. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so imagine me feeling like, man, we're doing some great stuff. We took in Syrian refugee families. I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. uh, when 31, 31 governors turned them away. Yeah, I remember when you, know. you guys took them in because I knew your I knew your former church. Yeah, we we uh, we shipped uh, containers to Syria uh, at Jordan. And we went down there to clinics and, you know, people right at the, at the war line. And, you know, I mean, they got horrific injuries and stuff like that. And we got to be there with them, you know, going to the border, you know, like working with immigrant populations that, that are waiting for their asylum and things like that. So just amazing stuff. Trump hit the scene. And it was like, at the same time, we, we were moving into a new facility. And this new facility yes. was seven acres. And the seven acres was supported Which by Justin in yeah. California. That's huge. Yeah, that that's, just so you know. yeah. that's yeah. a lot anywhere, but certainly in, I'm sure imagine in Orange County, that's, <laughs> it's huge. That's, that's a lot. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was insane getting this property and, but it, there was an attachment and that attachment was a group of old white people that had committed their estates to the church. And so they hear this previous Muslim guy coming along and this guy wants to work with refugees and immigrants and Syrian Muslims and, you know, all this stuff. And, oh, wait, you know, like racial reconciliation, too. Like, what does that look like? You know, so that didn't go. What is this? What is this critical race theory that he's bringing to the church? Ooh, Ooh. and that wasn't even a thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but this was too early for that. It just wasn't a thing. Um. 
And, and I think, I think for me, before we even took that property on, I was in Denver at a conference with Paul Young. You guys know Paul Young wrote The Shack? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of him, yeah. So, so it was my first time meeting him. I had no clue who he was. I've, re- I've read the book before, but I, I went up and did a little thing at the conference or whatever and shared a little. And he comes up to me afterwards and everyone's around him because they want to talk to him and stuff. He comes up to me, he looks me right in the eye and he's like, I need to hug you. And he just hugs me and he holds me for like 45 seconds. It was the most awkward hug I've ever had. Wow. You know, and, he, and then he whispers into my ear and he says, if God has gone to such great lengths to protect my ability to say no, to say yes to him, then why would death have the power to take away that? Yes. So in a nutshell, what he was saying is that what happened on the cross was so powerful that death or anything else should not have the ability to take to take that away from you. You know what I mean? So, so he was just saying, he's just whispering this in your ear. He was whispering this in the, into my ear while he's holding me for 45 seconds. And I'm like, please, <laughs> please God, somebody help me. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? So I, I took that and I, I went and wrote that down and I just sat on that. I'm like, what is going on? My wife just had lost her mom. And you know, there was a Netflix thing on hell. You know, it was like, you know, all the, you know, just, just the whole hell conversation for me, you know, started to come to light. And I think that's when I started my, my deconstruction journey where I started questioning, you know, the reality of hell and this God, this all loving God, you know, and what does, how does that make right. So, so for me, I mean, you, you guys have heard the arguments, you know, if all humanity, like if you count all humanity that's existed from beginning to now, there's about a hundred billion people you know, the, the road to hell is wide. The road to heaven is narrow. Let's say we, we made a split like 60, 40 or 70, 30, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're literally saying right now, as you and I are sitting here, there's, there could be, you know, 60 billion people burning in hell or let's update it. You know, let's go to Lewis for a second. Uh, you know, eternally separated from God. It's not as bad as the like, you know, burning, mm-hmm. burning physically burning. Yeah. You know, you're just separated from God yeah. for all eternity. So there's six as you and I just you, you got you know just when you're just faced that. when you're faced with those numbers, it's hard to get up in front of people and say this is the best system possible. And like that our religion and this philosophy and this way of teaching about it is the best. And that's what a lot of evangelicalism does. It's like, you know, you're the pitch man for the best system ever conceived because it's God's system. And then you start plugging in the numbers and yeah, you start to realize like, I feel like maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah. I mean, I understand understand this gears turning for sure. But, but that seems a little bit like, it seems unreasonable if we're honest, right? Like that the, the all loving, all knowing God would check you into the God that's supposed to be more compassionate than we are. Right. It seems to be much less so yes, when you really start to sure. break down those kinds of numbers. Yeah, for sure. So you're deconstructing, you're getting hugged by writers yeah. <laughs> for an excessive amount of time. And you're going the buzz in the is background is Trump and all his rhetoric and everything that's going on. Yeah, the buzz in the background is and, – and then you're dealing with a large church that is sort of – it sounds like was headed in one direction and then got really worried. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so is this kind of what spurred the actual leave, if you're comfortable talking about that, if you're comfortable about, I mean, what were some of the other experiences at this large megachurch that kind of made that rub a little bit like, oh, huh. 
Because does this church preach about hell? I don't even think it does. I don't know. Yeah. So, so for me, it was, it was a few things. I mean, it was piling up, you know, and, and within my own deconstruction and, and own, you know, just, I, I could only turn, turn that crystal and give it another side, you know, uh, enough times. I was running out of sides, you know what I mean? And, and I just couldn't make any more excuses, but I think there was a few different, you know, things that just, just finalized it for me in a sense. And one of them in particular, I'm sitting in a pastor's meeting, you know, we're, we're there and we're talking and Hey, we have gay people coming to our church, you know, and it's like, we have a lesbian couple and we have, you know, male gay, you know, gay guys come, come into our church. And it was like, what do we do with them? You know, and they have kids. It's a real reality. Yeah. So what do we do? You know, like we, we need to figure this out. So we sit, we sit in the, you know, in this room and we're kind of talking back and forth and pastor gets up and he says, Hey, do you guys think we can baptize the kids of, of a gay couple? And we're like, Oh yeah, no, we don't, you know, a few people different answer. And he's like, he's like, well, let me tell you why we can't He's like, okay, well, when we baptize them, they're not, you know, they're not baptized. We're baptizing them. We're baptizing them in the name of Jesus and all this stuff. And you know, what is wrong with that? And he's like, okay, make, makes sense. We're good. So we're going to, we're going to baptize the children of uh, gay couples. Okay. I actually got got a chance to do that. So that that was a great, you know, privilege of mine. It was probably one of the first gay couples in the church that, that I was able to do that. Awesome. Now he said, "Let's talk about baby dedication." Cuz you know, you, you know, evangelical churches, you know, especially in Orange County, you 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 dedicate babies, you know, it's just something you do. I'm, I'm sure plenty others do it too. And he and he says, "You know, why if we could baptize them, you know, what about dedications?" And so we talked about it a half hour, wrestled with it and and he said, so, so we're, we're all in agreement that we could dedicate the babies of gay couples as well. I'm like, yeah, I think we're, I think we're good. Yeah. It makes sense. It, it's what, you know, maybe Jesus would want. Okay. And he says, well, let me tell you why we're not going to do it. <gasps> oh, wow. what, what do you mean? Like what? That doesn't make sense. Sorry guys. That was an actual reaction on my part. I did not know. it. <laughs> so, so he says, he says, well, let me, what happens when you dedicate a baby? He's like, well, I don't know. You, you have the parents and, you know, like exactly. Cute pictures. The, and yeah. You have the parents up on stage and the way this church did it in particular, you have both parents there and the pastor stands behind them. They're holding the baby in front of the entire church and we pray over them. And so he says, the problem here is that you'll have two, two women or two guys up on the stage and it will seem like we are an agreement with what they're doing. And so we cannot dedicate the children of gay people. And I was like, what the hell are we talking about here? Like, why did you, why did we have this discussion for however long? Exactly. I I blew up. I was like, nah, this is, this is stupid. Like, what what are we doing? And and the, the, uh, the executive pastor jumps up and he's like, he's like, do you want to still have a job? I'm like, yeah, I do. Why? He's like, because half the church is going to leave and we're going to have to let you go because there's not going to be enough to pay your salary. You know, like <gasps> this is what. And so it was about metrics. It was about what it looked like. It was about what. Oh, whoo, performative. That is Yikes. also a very similar story. I, I would guess that there are many evangelical pastors that are quietly affirming. Oh, I, but, I know there are. Well, they sneak I, up I, in my DMs, I, guys. They sneak up in my DMs. I'm saying. I'm guessing as a way there are, I know them that Mm -hmm. are quietly affirming for money. 
It is yes. 100% to do with job security and finances. They're and in the closet. They're probably listening to this podcast now. And like I, mm-hmm. that that is a, that's, and I don't, I'm not going to criticize too harshly in the sense that I also understand the pressure of like, hey, I got to feed my kids. You know, there is, there is a reality there, but, but it's also kind of dishonest and also not cool. And especially when like in your situation, Maher, you're getting your job threatened because you're trying to stand up for what, at least Mm -hmm. at the time you believe was right thing. And that's, and that's not cool to use money as a cudgel to shape theology. That gets weird real fast. It's a super weird metric too, like, because baptism also usually, well, within our tradition, those of us who are mainliners, baptism also includes parents. And so it's a very strange, very strange moment. So that, that happens to you. You, Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just couldn't, I, I said, I, I don't understand. Like I need to get out of here. I need, I need to, to go somewhere. We have an outreach weekend coming up and all this stuff. So I, I did what I usually do. I, I leave the country. I go on a trip somewhere, you know, um, because that, that was part of what I did. I was like an outreach. It was global and local. So I was going to go visit one of our partners or whatever. And there was a conference down in San Diego. I think uh, the, the collective, it was like at a Methodist church. Um, and so I, I was there, but just by coincidence. And what I really was there to do is, is spend a couple of days down at the border, because at that time there were 5,000 asylum seekers at, at the border. And, you know, I went down there to, to kind of, kind of see the, the situation. And I walked into this one church and what I, my friend's was, a pastor, by the way, this world is so small. That's one of my at best that, friends. At that church. Uh huh. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so I walk in. I walk into this this church, but this this church was across the border in Mexico, right? This this church now I'm talking I'm talking about now. And, oh, a different church. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the one with the collective the where the conference was. Yeah, that was your friend's church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. So then after the conference, I went down. I went down to Mexico down the border and you know connected with few few people that I knew. And I it, it was it was towards the evening, so they were kind of like you know, settling down. And what I saw in there was there were pieces of plywood that were on top of, on, on not the top, top of the pews, but right where the seat is. And, and it kind of meets with where you put the hymnals and stuff. There were pieces of plywood there. And what you saw was people everywhere. And the kids would sleep under the piece of the plywood in between the, the, the pews. And then, the, and then the, you'd have a parent sleeping on top Mm. And and some vice versa. And the place was packed. There must have, and it was this tiny little church. It must have been like 75 families in there. It was crazy. So I, I, I said to my friend, I said, you know, what, what can we do? Like, what, what's going on? He said, any church you see in the community right now, they are full like this. And we don't have food. We don't have blankets. We don't have anything. So I'm like, dude, like we, you know, we spend, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building wells and building churches and, you know, in Africa and all this stuff, like, you know, we, we got to do something here. So I come back, I set up a meeting with, with my leadership and I'm like, Hey, listen, there are about 5,000 people down there and there are some churches we could partner with and we could, we could empower them to kind of, you know, like work with the people there and, and give them what they need because they're, they're basically, you know, starving and cold waiting to hear about their asylum. And he's like, ah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like it's, it's a tough time to do that. I don't know if we can do it, you know? And, and I kept pushing, kept pushing and was like, we, we just can't do it. And I'm like, 
are we are we trying to go against the Bible? Like, are we trying like mm-hmm. wasn't Jesus hanging with five thousand people and you know he like he fed them and all? like literally five? Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, we're talking the same numbers here. I mean, are, is is this a coincidence? You know, and it's like it's too political. We can't touch it. And I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you want me to do for outreach weekend then? Because I had this idea and I had another idea. What do you want me to do? He's like, I want you to do a military event. And that's oh what gosh. I did for the next. And listen, I have nothing against the military. Like, you know, like I have no. a lot of friends in the military and all that. Like, you know, I, I understand the role they play. And and I'm I'm more than happy to do events for the military, you know. But every one of my events turned into a military event because that's what the mm. old white people wanted. And at that moment, too, the military was being called in. If this is the same moment I'm thinking of to take care of a lot of these refugees, like that's political as well. Yeah, it's always I, I discovered, at least in in those kinds of spaces, like I, I did a Syrian refugee kind of outreach too, like where we sent a bunch of stuff. There was an organization in Chicago we partnered with. And then we also um, basically sent these crates to Greece, you know, where a lot of people were coming over. And that was fine until Trump got elected. And all of a sudden it was like. You know, we like, mm, let's not do that. That's political. But we'll have a whole service about the military, which is equally as political. It's, it's, it's always interesting what is. Yeah. We won't touch it because yeah, yeah. it's political, but do this other very political thing. Yeah. Let's be honest about what we mean by political. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I what, what am I doing here? You know, this, yeah. this doesn't make <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. And things are being stripped from me and and all this. stuff, And I'm like, I. I've never, I've never seen this happen at this church and it's changing, you know? So, so during this time, I think my, you know, my boss, the the pastor of the church was kind of feeling, you know, my unease about what was going on. And he went, went to a pastor's meeting, you know, that was, you know, the, like the lead pastors and, and all that, because it was multiple campuses that this church had. And they're all meeting there and the senior, senior pastor is sitting there and, and they're talking. He he brings this up like I'm having, you know, I'm having trouble with with my outreach pastor. He's dealing with this stuff and all that. And and he's like, ah, don't worry about him. You know, the move is tough. You know, it's a seven acre property and, you know, things things change. And he, he you know, maybe he can't hang and all that stuff. And some time passes by and then and then he comes up and wants to make do an example uh, of of me and how like you can't hang and he's like what's his name again you know like wait what, what was oh yeah jihadi boy you know that that jihadi oh, boy guy and, Woo! Woo! and i'm like you're the senior pastor of this church oh and you're of this you're up huge here. church I, i've been there for eight years and you're you're gonna sit there and call me jihadi boy like seriously in front of all these pastors listen my my phone was blowing up because i have friends in that room you know i have people of color mm-hmm. in that room and and they're like yo there's something going on you know like this guy just called you this and you know it's it's going crazy so that that next tuesday i walk into my boss's office and i said listen i can no longer support this the white evangelical, you know, church that is that is more concerned with with Trump and with with his, you know, and pleasing people. And so I I quit. Like I'm done. Mm. And and I I yeah, I I left. And and I I mean I hung up a a 19 year career in the church that day. And that was the last day I I was in I walked into an evangelical church a, a church completely. I mean it was March wow. 31st, 2019. 
you know? And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I was like, if, if God left the church a long time ago, what am I still doing here? You know, (laughs) there's the quote. (laughs) That's, that's the quote right there. Why would Mm -hmm. I still be here? You know what I mean? And so, and, and listen, I, I get it. Like I, you know, churches and uh, the organizational church, you know, there, there's still individuals in that place. And some people are, are incredible people doing some great stuff, all that. But as for me, I, I no longer believe in the institutionalized church. And it wasn't just yeah. because of the things that were happening during that. It was part also of my journey as, uh, you know, as my deconstruction journey, it just wasn't lining up anymore. And not only that, I had seen this before. You know what I mean? It was like, you know what? Islam, mm, it's not lining up. I, I'm I'm good. Like I'm out. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I picked up another system of certainty, which was Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know what? That's not, not lining up either. So everyone then comes and is running at me and they're like, wait, 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 where are you going? Maya? Like you're an atheist now? Like what, what's going on and what, what's happening? And I said, you know what? That too is another system of certainty to Mm. say that there is no God. And you know what? I am done with systems of certainty. Certainty. (laughs) I will will no longer, you know, attribute myself to a system of certainty. I first Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth. And this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church it's a podcast about change it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side you can listen wherever you get your podcast and if you want to be a guest yes you regular person you can be a guest on the speaking in church podcast if you want to come on just let us know I, I no longer call myself a Christian. I, I definitely don't call myself a Muslim. Like, you know, my parents, my parents <laughs> are like, you moved back to Philadelphia, you becoming a Muslim again? Let's go to the mosque. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, nope, I'm out, yeah. you know? But at the same time, I'm like, I want to be in the middle. I want to be in the gray area. I want the absolutes mm. in my life to be something I can count on my hands. And, and the rest of it, you know what? I'm going to have two or three possibilities to, to what it could be. And I never have to land on something. You know, I I had a great friend of mine. He was a, he was also a pastor with me and, and he said something one day and he, he basically said, you know what, Maher, during this deconstruction journey, what, what basically happened to me is, is someone took the vase of my life and he said, well, I took the vase of my life and I threw it onto the ground and I smashed it and it broke into a million pieces. And everything inside me, everything I've been taught, everything I've been trained is go pick up those pieces as quickly as possible and put them back together. Into some form. Into yep. some form. And, and reconstruct it into reconstruct something. It. And he said, you know what? I put a chair down and I sat and I said, I'm just going to look at these pieces. And there is no time where, uh, no time limit where, where it's time to get back up and put this back together. He's like, I'm just going to sit and rest. And he said, when I'm ready, I'm going to get up and start putting things back together. But you know what? It's not going to be a vase anymore. And you know what? I might make a few different shapes, but it's no longer going to be that vase. And and I I think that's beautiful. I think, I think that's part of the deconstruction journey. And and so many of us are, are, are just rushing 
to put those pieces back together because our worlds have fallen apart and we don't know what to do with it. But, but I, I just encourage anyone who's going through this journey to just sit in it, to allow yourself to think through those things. And, and for, for the first time, start to listen to your own voice, start to listen to your own body and to say, it is okay. It is not sinful and hateful. And do we do things that are wrong? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, yes. But we're messed up sometimes. Yeah. We need to trust our own voice again. The church institutionalized evangelical church and and others, but I don't know that other context is religion. Let's say religion has stolen our voices and have Mm -hmm. taught us to mistrust ourselves. And I think that's why they say the majority of the United States is made up of Enneagram sixes, people that constantly doubt themselves cannot make a decision on their own because they can't trust their own voice. And we, and we don't teach them how to find it. We teach, you know, how to find their own voice. We teach them, here's a voice for you to follow, which for anybody is catnip. But if we're going to use Enneagram language, Enneagram sixes, that's like, Ooh, I like that. Give me a system. I like that. You know, that tell me what to do, please. But also there's this deep loyalty, right? There's this deep loyalty to the voice that we are taught to hear. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, it's, it's interesting because the people who are most afraid of all this movement that's happening are often those who are in a different step or stage. And whether you move through it or not, is it is that piece of like, well, well, what what matters anymore? It's scary. And I think people, I love this idea of sitting and giving yourself time to look at it. But as someone who's gone through leaving the paycheck that came from being a professional Christian in some ways, I mean, my paycheck's still in some ways tied to that. How did you, I mean, at the time you were, you were married, you've got kids. How are you able to, because that's the thing people keep saying is, I kind of know I want to go, but I, I'm so afraid. What are the things that you would recommend for people to start thinking about? Because you do, you run your own business now where, I love this, the jihad boy, good when you said that the first time to me, I literally almost fell out of my chair. Like the audacity, like the odd, the like the absolute audacity to not know your name after however many years and not know your name. Like yeah, there's like so many layers to that. I'm I I feel terrible, but it's like there's just so many layers to that. Yeah, no, it's awful, terrible. You now are creating spaces or helping to create spaces for people to really understand like cultural intelligence and what does it mean to think through these things? And why was that so wrong? I mean, all of us can be like, what the, which is fine, but there's also like nuanced and things like that. How did you get there? I guess the thing that most people are wondering is, yes, that's great. Maybe I am ready to jump off. Maybe, maybe I am ready to not have my paycheck tied to what I believe, but what now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. It's scary because, um, you know, especially if you have responsibilities, you got a mortgage, you got kids, you got, you know, you know, like, what, what do you do? You, you can't just, just turn off the switch, you know? And, and I think for me, I, I was searching for a long time, but, but one thing that, that I was afraid of is that my next thing had to be my, you know, the, the end all, you know, like, and, and what I realized was, was my next thing just needed to be my next thing. 
And what I mean by that is I left and I went and worked for for an electrical company, project managing uh, at firehouses all around the country. I mean, for nine months, I traveled, you know, uh, project managing, putting in electrical systems in firehouses. I mean, you know what I mean? I do. Do I know electrical? I, I know hybrids from BMW, but I am not, you know, electrical, you know, but I know how to put teams together. So. There's certain things that you've learned in the church, uh, you know, that you could utilize, you could, you know, you could use to, to get you to your next step. So I think, I think that that was important. And, and once I was there, I was like, okay, listen, I need this time to, to heal. I need this time to mm-hmm. decompress. I need this time. Yeah, to I think not- what you said is really important, right? This idea of, I needed my next thing to not 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 matter because I know you are. You're going to do anything with excellence. That's just who you are. But I need it to not be so layered. And I think that's something that your idea of rest and like let my next thing just be my next thing. It doesn't have to be my be all end all. The the a job can just be a job. And and that's so tough for someone who's worked in ministry for so long. Yeah. It's like everything has so much meaning. And and you know what? Yeah, I know you pay me this paycheck, but but I. I I'm going to, I'm going to give that 10% right back, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, everything's tied in, you know, with, you know, and, and it never leaves you. You're working six days, seven days a week. Like, you know, this is not just a job, you know, so we mm-hmm. don't know how to let go, but, but so I had to, I had to do that. And I did that for nine months. And then, and then I decided to, to move back to Philly where my parents were and, and my brother and sister were. Because we own a, a family shop, you know, a family car mechanic shop in, in Philadelphia. And I said, you know what? All right, let's sell everything. Let's move. Let, let, me, let me utilize some of the things that I've learned, you know, in building systems and, you know, building teams and all this stuff and help my family business. And so I, I did that for, for about a year or so. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I, I can't. I can't sell cars. You know, I can't <laughs> like it was another job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was it was perfect in that way, but but I think for me it was I I care about people's journeys. And and now I'm no longer trying to convert them to Christianity. I'm not no longer trying to convert mm-hmm. them to Islam either, you know? Yeah. Um I'm not trying to win this apologetics argument anymore. Now I I want people to be free. You know, I I have I have this kind of saying for myself where, you know, I, my desire is to be awoken from my deep sleep and to bring others along with me. Mm. And, and in the search for, in the search for wisdom, instead of, instead of certainty, you know, and I think, I think we, we've, we concentrate so much on having the exact right beliefs that, that we miss wisdom and we get ourselves in trouble. We sacrifice our families for ministry and, and just so many things you fall into. And, and so I said, let's, let's go back to family. Let's go back to the basics. And there was a lot of work I had to do there because remember, I, I told, like, I, I told my, my family they're going to hell. You know, because they're Muslims. I, every single mm. person in my family is Muslim except me. That is an awkward moment when you're sitting around the dining room table and you, Maher, have told all of them that they're going yeah. to hell. <laughs> and then you're saying, "Can I? Can I have a job now?" <laughs> also, can we go, can we revisit that part where I said you're going to burn forever? <laughs> can we just can we circle back on that one? <laughs> yeah. So I had to eat a lot of my words and and I'm just sure. come back and say and apologize in a lot of ways and say, 
you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry I put our family through this. You know, I'm so sorry I hurt you guys so much. And there was, you know, it was hurt on both sides and things like that. But, but we were able to reconcile and I was able to come back and, and be part of what my family was doing. But, you know, again, it was just the next step. It's all, it's all about yeah. taking that next step. And we're just so afraid because we don't know, you know, what we don't know. The unknown is, is, is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. for me, I had taken so many steps like that, like just leaving some, it made it a little easier, but, but this, this was after nine, you know, 19 years of being in and working with the church that I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm done and I'm done for good. Yeah. Like when you know, you know, like for sure. I love that you, I hear this sense and maybe this is after time. I hear this sense and you've said it a couple of times quickly, but I I'm hearing that like you are grateful for the skills that you got that had to do with organizing systems and things like that. And you're able to see that, okay, so that time isn't completely wasted because I learned how to organize systems. I, I learned how to work with really difficult people. I also learned what is okay and not okay within that kind of a structure in a way that I think I see you using to make sure that doesn't happen to other people. But you you experience it. You, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, we don't always have to be grateful for our terrible experiences, guys. We really that, – that is another toxic trait we, we might have picked up in ministry. But I think there is this um, gratefulness I hear in you. Is that an accurate read that you learned how to do that in a way that now you're running your own nonprofit? Well, I, I will say this. If, if you spend too much time regretting the past, you're not going to be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah. I, I was stuck in that, to be honest. I was stuck in that for a while. I, I didn't know how to leave. I was, I was, I was very angry. I felt like I, my family had been stolen from me because I was sold a lie. You know, I, I felt like I had lost so much and I had sacrificed so much for, for nothing. And, and that's not, it's not true. You know what I mean? We just think of the, the individual conversations that you've had. Think of people you've walked with, think of people you've cried with. And, you know, at, Take, take all the theology out of it and, and bring the humanness into it and, and the relationships of rubbing shoulders with people and sharing some of the most difficult times in life with people. That, that stuff's powerful. You know, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what you believe in. That stuff is powerful. And when, when you can do that with people and at the same time teach others and build systems to do that, it's, it's a powerful thing. So so I, I learned to not regret my journey and what I had gone through, but to take it and utilize it and help it to catapult me forward because, man, I had to jump into the real world, real, real world again, where, you know, I had to, I had to make some money here, you know, and, and I, listen, my, my buddy, my, my buddy uh, says, who was also a, a previous pastor, he's like, man, we had it good when we worked at church. I mean, yeah, we worked hard, but. I really got to work my ass off now, you know, to make, them, yeah. make them <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you don't get to, you know, Oh, it's 11 o'clock. Let's go grab some coffee and then come back for, for the meeting to talk about the service again. You know, yeah. and it's just like, uh, you know, not, not everyone's church mm-hmm. experiences like that, but, but, you know, being in ministry is different than being in the outside mm-hmm. corporate world and, and, you know, yeah. in the working world. So yeah, you, you, you had uh uh, what an hour long meeting to discuss a theological thing that was right. Ex- essentially a frivolous exercise to make your senior pastor's point for him. Like that. And that's, 
that's a normal Tuesday in church world sometimes. <laughs> where it's like, we just, you know, and, that, and that's on top of that, though, you will get a call at 10 p.m. with someone who might be right. suicidal. So there's there are trade offs there. But yeah, that the the work day, so to speak, in church versus corporate world is very, very different. Very different. And it's, it's a rude awakening, I will say. Yeah, it can be. Or it can be a freeing because there's boundaries. I think we're starting it's to both. get... It's both. It's both. Yeah, I think we're starting to get within not just the church world, but the corporate world. Maybe actually the church world doesn't get in that way. But we are learning, like, I think there is something that came out of COVID that's definitely, like, we're we're trying to figure out, like, oh, this isn't good that we can work all the time. This is not... That's Turns out that's not great for our central nervous system. Turns out that's not great for who we are. And so we've got to figure that out. And hopefully we're going to make some moves forward. I love this idea that you're helping people understand diversity and you help churches. That's the great part. You're still helping churches in a weird way, like, but to make them less toxic spaces. I just think that's such an incredible um, move that you've made in that. And just you're partnering even with folks to do racial reconciliation and have some of the tough conversations. I mean, you and I, <laughs> we've been in the room with people who think very differently than us. And I feel like we are able to have such incredible conversations. Mahar and I actually were in a meeting this where this one of the guys in the meeting was really excited because I was his first gay friend. Guys, I'm not gay, but I just thought that was so kind of him. And he was like open to it. Isn't that sweet, Justin? I, oh. you know, I'm not offended in any way, shape or form, but oh. he was just so proud that I was his first gay friend. And I think as a straight man, this- I would love to be someone's first gay friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't really, that's a lot of stereotypes you're assuming because yeah, wow. I, oh, I get it. I get it. Cause I work, I'm single and I'm this age and I, you know, have a powerful voice, whatever it might be. But I say all that to say, I think when you are not staring backwards, when you're able to look forwards, when you're able, I feel like there's, there are ways that I'm trying really hard not to use churchy language, guys. But this idea of almost like the thing gets redeemed, like the thing that I thought mm-hmm. was was I can be part of because I can learn to trust my own intuition. I learn to to use the thing that harmed me to help others. I'm really careful around that because I don't want it to be like, oh, there's always a silver lining. But I, I think there is this thing about this hero's journey, this movement forward that, okay, I know – now that these spaces cannot continue to exist like this. We cannot have people who are calling care for Syrians as political. We cannot, children are not a political thing. They, they, they are children. You know, there's all these things happening. And so I think it's so helpful and so hopeful. And I'm really grateful, Mara, that you've done that, that you've, mm. you're making so those cool. spaces. I, I did want to ask, kind of walk through maybe some practical. Here we go. Well, I'm just saying like some, and again, I'm trying not to use church language because like between the three of us, we probably have like two lifetimes worth of church in. work. We could we love could, on. Yeah, we could <laughs> lean in and really develop some spiritual disciplines around this, mm. but we're not going to do that. Um, no. I guess Sorry, what are, what are, big what are some, activation some like, yeah, what are some, I could, you, I could use like some real like tactical protocols. I can like, no. <laughs> But what are just some practical steps or practices that someone could have that is going through this kind of trauma? Because, you know, I think we've all gone through it in some ways where, you know, we've we've exited church ministry and there there is more trauma than you realize for sure. At least that was my experience when I was like, oh, this was bad. And then when you get out, you're like, oh, oh, 
Like my nervous system is bringing up all the things because now I don't have to hold it together. And that can be a lot. And then you, it's very easy for a person to just be bitter the rest of their lives or for decades. What are some ways that someone can without, without cutting the healing short, because you Mm, can't just throw a bandaid on things and just turn right around and that's not healthy, but what are some healthy ways that someone can, can begin to start that process of dealing with their pain and figuring out what, you know, if there's this big pile of stuff, what are the 10 things in here that are worth keeping and worth cherishing and worth having and what's worth throwing away? And how do you kind of get to a, a good place at the end of that, where you can have a positive outlook on what your future is going to look like? That was a long question. I'm really sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was following That's it. Okay. It was a okay. good question. Definitely a good question. Um, and, and this is what I would say that you can't do it alone. Mm. It is a lonely place. I mean, you're on stage, you're seeing people, you, you know, you compartmentalize yourself, but you're, you're surrounded by people. And then all of a sudden you shut that off and you turn, you turn it off and you're not getting those phone calls. You're not getting those 50 emails. You know, you're not, you know, it's like, it's a, it could be a lonely place. And so now some of those, some of those relationships could have been empty. You know what I mean? So, but, but what I encourage people is to fill those places in your car. Let's say you're sitting in a car with, with a few people that you could really figure out this pain together. Someone who's willing to hear, you know, the stuff that you're going through, because, because listen, I don't know if you guys went through this, but, but there's, you know, deconstruction throw up. I I mean, I, you know, I don't know Mm -hmm. what else to call it, but when you're, when you first start or when you're, you know, when you're out, like, you you know, you just start throwing up all all over people, you know, and they're just like, there's like, oh my God, you know, like what is happening in you, you know? And it's just like, you need a safe space to do that. And, and for me, one of those spaces was my wife. For me, one of those spaces were, were pastors that were kind of going through the same thing that had just left or about to leave. For me, it was a group of people when I moved to Philadelphia, a group of uh, ex-pastors and current pastors that under, understand the situation. I, I say that I haven't stepped back into a church, but listen, uh, you know, a few times a month, I get together with, with families of current pastors and previous pastors that, that have deconstructed. And, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful where the, the things we talk about, how deep they are and how powerful that we can process out loud. And you know what? There's no judgment for the things that I'm processing. There's no mm-hmm. paycheck for the things that I'm processing. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's such a freeing place to be where I can, I can work those things out. Well, yeah, that's our hope in creating this space. I know that we're probably hopefully by the time this is released, we're going to have a group uh, for folks to join on. I think we landed on discord. It's going to be called recovery rev recovery room, Uh, like a place for people to be anonymous in some ways where they can come in and say, this is where I'm at with this. And then hopefully we'll be able to like create cohorts for people to work through this stuff because there are some similarities, even though our stories are very different. You know, there are some stories, there's some real pain and disappointment and there's also hope and joy and it's really hard for people to understand if they haven't gone through it yeah thank you so much i found that to be definitely true those few pastor friends that have stuck around or the former pastors and people like that it's been it's been vital for absolutely 
I want to make sure we give space for, is there anything else you want to share with us, Mahar? Um, it's a really good question. I, I think, so you, you brought up, you brought up the topic of the, the thought that I, that I, I'm working with churches. I, I never thought I'd work with a church ever again. And I think people that, that leave, you know, are, are like, yeah, forget, like, I, n- I never want anything to do with it. And I think, I think for me, I had to ask myself, was it, is the, the church an entity that's going to continue, you know? And, and it was like, yeah, I, I think it is. And in different forms, but, but I, I want to help so that people don't continue to hurt and build, uh, hurt people and, and build toxic environments, you know? So, mm-hmm. so that's where I've found, I have found myself now. I, I tell people, listen, you, you know, you don't have to, you know, I'm not trying to shove what I believe down your throat. If I can, if I can be of assistance in any way, me and my team, what we do is we come in and we, you know, we do organizational change for people. We help them process. Why are people of color leaving your organization? Why have you been benched because you made this comment during your sermon? You know, why, you know, and so, and so to help people be aware of the world they live in, and, and I call it the, the great disruption because it is mm. disrupting the church because the church is having to, to deal with its theology and, and when that meets the streets and, and it's not working out, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, and they're losing people left and right. And I think they have an interest in that because that means butts and dollars, you know, as, as uh, mega churches call it, uh, you know, and, and that you want some of that, but there's some sincere pastors out there that are saying, what am I doing wrong? How can I truly improve? Because I want to care for my community and I want to love people well. And, and what does that look like? And so, you know, I get to come in and I get to, I get to kind of analyze their, their lenses in which they see the world and, and to say, listen, you got a blind spot here and you could work through this. And, and, you know, let's, let's talk about your staff and, and how they're working through this situation. And I mean, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is a huge enemy of the church. Why? Why are the most mm-hmm. marginalized people currently in, in our conversations like, the enemy of the church, you know, like, why is the LGBT yeah. community, uh, the enemy of the church? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so why weird. Are <laughs> the enemy of the church, how did we get upside down? You know? And mm. so, and so if I can help in any way, uh, I mean, I work with, with for-profit and nonprofit and, and churches. So it's not exclusive to churches. I, I work with anyone almost, but, but I, there, there's a place for for churches it's still in my journey and and I would not have been I would not have guessed that it's kind of like the your anti-fundamentalism where you're like yeah I'm not going to say any certainties there's certain things that are like boundary cross so but that you know is something I would have said before but I'm open to whatever is next I think that's beautiful and helpful and inspiring and who knows guys who knows what the next iteration of the church is but we're we're hoping that if it does continue, it will be something that is more healthy and whole and healing. So thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. It has been wonderful to hear a little bit about you. Where can people find more information um, about you, about the work that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on all the, you know, Instagrams. Uh, it's just Maher Salhani or, or uh, our website is risingculturellc.com. If you're looking for some DEI cultural intelligence work. Yeah. So you guys can find us on there. And we'll try to get that stuff in the show notes as well. So cool. that people can find you if they want to find you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys, appreciate you having me on. I uh, love what you're doing. I can't wait to hear uh, all the other guests. 
Oh my gosh, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a show, guys. There's it is so fun. The different people that we're having on. So thank you for joining us for this week's Rev Covery. We'll see you. so much guys for joining us for another episode of Rev Covery. It has been an absolute joy for us to be able to share with you the story of Maher. Maher is an absolutely incredible person and is both inspiring and challenging. So I'm glad that we got to share a bit of his story with you. Also, thank you to all of you who've been reaching out and sharing your stories with us. We absolutely appreciate it. And we're hoping to build a community around this work. If you want to hear more about that, or if you just want to stay up to date with us, you can find us on Instagram at Rev Covery Room or on Twitter at Rev Covery Room as well. And as we begin to build a community around that, in the meantime, I want to let you know that I am taking clients as a coach. Um, If maybe this transition and trying to figure out how to get from here to there is something that you want to work through with a professional coach, I um, am taking new clients. So I would love to hear from you. And you can reach out to me either on my personal Instagram, which is RevSarahHeath or RevSarahHeath at gmail.com. With all of that being said, We always want to end these with some fantastic or inspiring or um, maybe even just poems that meant something to us. And we hope we can offer them to you as uh, something that matters. Uh, Again, this is not for everyone. So if you are not into uh, this, thank you for joining us for the beginning of this episode. But I would like to share with you um, a reading that I have read quite a few times in my life. And you might have seen it on all kinds of uh, signs or whatever it might be. And I know it uh, shows up on Pinterest a lot, but this is from F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, and I love it. It's just a bit of writing that I don't know why, but Maher's story made me think of. So please enjoy this brief reading. For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in my case, too early to be whatever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. And I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you've never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again. Thanks, friends, for joining us. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.